Hey everyone, this is Blood and Wine. Um, I know this might sound a little different than the intro to our normal episodes, and that is because right now it's Sunday. I'm currently editing the episode, but with everything that's going on, we knew that we needed to speak to the injustices that are happening in America right now. We realize that we will never be able to fully understand racial injustice because we are privileged white people. And we know that. Mm -hmm. But we want everyone to know that Black Lives Matter. And we love you. We support you. And we're standing with you. And we're doing everything we can. And we also have a really unique position with this podcast. You guys know how we feel about justice for victims and how we are always on the side of the victim. And so with everything that's going on right now in our world, and every single day is changing, there's no way we could ignore this. There's no way we couldn't address this situation. George Floyd deserves to have a voice, even though he himself cannot speak anymore. And we are a part of that voice. So I actually read one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches earlier today from, I believe it was one of his speeches in the 60s, and it was about riots and how riots are the language of the unheard. And so, you guys, we just need to listen. We need to listen. We need to come together. And we need to stop ignoring this. If you're ignoring what's happening, you're on the side of the oppression. You can't ignore this. And because of that, we want to do our part. We want to do anything that we can. So for the entire month of June, all of our Patreon money is going to be donated to the ACLU. And Brittany and I are also going to match whatever that looks like. If you are not a patron and you still want to give, there are so many different foundations and charities out there. You can donate directly to George Floyd's family. They have a GoFundMe for his funeral and memorial set up. Um, We chose the ACLU because we have listeners across the nation with many different backgrounds. And so we wanted to support a charity that can kind of speak for all of us. And if y'all aren't aware of what the ACLU is, they provide legal assistance in cases where civil liberties are at risk. And they were actually founded to defend and preserve the individual rights and liberties guaranteed to every person in this country by the Constitution and laws of the United States. They do a lot of amazing things, helping to support people of color and being such a huge advocate for all of those communities. So do everything you can to be a voice and let's fight against racial injustice. We just want to let you guys know that Blood and Wine stands with you. I, Brittany, I stand with you. And I, Tyler, I also stand with you. And we're going to help fight this together. We are. We're going to do everything we can, and we urge all of you across the country, across the globe, to do what you can. It's not time to ignore things. No. So with that, um, there's going to be a rough jump cut to our episode, because again, this is recorded just about a day and a half before our episode goes live. But again, this was something that for who we are, for who we know our listeners are, and for what our podcast stands for... We knew we had to do something and do it now. This is not the time to wait. Okay, so I may have spent more than I had previously on a new face mask. Um, Mm. So it's like, okay, let me explain this. Obviously, 
these masks that we're wearing have now become like a fashion accessory. And oh, that's not. I was I was thinking self care mask, like face mask, <laughs> not like keep out Corona mask. No, no, no. I, I spend a lot of money on those masks as well. But no, this one that I got, it's leopard print. Um, it has a pocket for filters and it comes with four filters. And I also like just the option of putting in a filter. It's got like the nose bridge and get this, the ear straps are adjustable. That's kind of what sold me on it. It was like 20 bucks and it's worth every penny. I hope. I, I haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> Uh, damn. Well, um, I almost spent a couple hundred dollars. Talk about self-care masks. Um, I almost spent a couple hundred dollars on a pallet of bath bombs because (laughs) I had had some wine. I was like, ooh, I'm feeling self-care-y. I'm going to get some bath bombs. You know, I'm going to order like a bag of them. You know, I have like 10 or whatever. I'm looking, I'm like, ooh, these look really nice. And then as I'm going to, like, add to cart, I, like, see the price. And then I'm like, what? What? And then I look at the quantity, and I was like, (gasps) so I almost bought, like, an industrial palette of bath bombs. (laughs) I didn't. Was this on your birthday? It may have been. (laughs) You're like, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve this for the rest of my life because I'm buying a palette. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't buy any bath bombs. That just scared me away from buying any. You just, like, slam the laptop and scream. Pretty much. <laughs> Threw it. Oh, that's not smart. Um, But hello, everyone. This is Blood and Wine. I'm Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And self-care is important, but don't accidentally buy, like, industrial quantities of self-care products. <laughs> Lotion is great. Um, a, an 85 gallon drum of lotion. Maybe, maybe you're good without. It's a little, that's, that's a lot of lotion. And, uh, if you have a big drum in your apartment, we're going to assume there's a body in it. We absolutely will. Although (laughs) if I was a celebrity or just rich and famous and shit, I would absolutely be like, you know what? I'm going to fill a bathtub with lotion and just see what it does. Oh, that, that would be disgusting or feel it's really lo- good. I don't you know. You literally put it on your skin. That's yeah, I know, the point of it. But it's also so wasteful. I didn't say I'd throw it out. Oh, you're so you're gonna jump into a tub of lotion, get your like nasty body all over all of this lotion on your tub, and and then you're gonna you're gonna put the lotion back into its container afterwards. And then I'm gonna list it on my merch store because I'm famous and <laughs> fans would buy it. That's disgusting. I'm, okay, I'm telling you, if Gaga just released a la- line of Chromatica lotion and she was like, essence of my skin in it, people would buy the fuck out of it. I would think about it. Um, That tells me dead skin cells floating around in this lotion. Yeah. This is disgusting. I don't even want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> well, it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Anywho, I'm going to pivot right along into Patreon, if you're okay with that. Please pivot. Yes, okay. Pivot! Um, pivot! <laughs> oh, pivot! <dear> lord. <laughs> Anywho, uh, so, if y'all have not heard, Patreon is the place to be for all the cool cats and dogs out there, and people, mostly people. It's where you can listen to all of our Murder Mini episodes, uh, but they're just a bunch of cases that we found that... Maybe don't fit our podcast. Maybe they're a little short. Maybe we found it and we were like, 
I don't have time to wait for a topic that fits this. I just want to do it right now. All the true crime, all the murder for you to listen to. We have a bunch of different perks and stuff if y'all want to check it out and join. More often than not, I feel like it's cases that we just feel like, I need to do this immediately. Yes. Or it'll be cases when we're researching one, we'll be like, oh, I can't pick between these two. Okay, well, found my murder mini, I guess. Literally what mine is today. (laughs) So... While you're at it, be sure you have subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're also on Spotify. I was about to say Twitter. That's not that's not what this is. Um, Google <laughs> <No>. Play. <laughs> we're on like, I mean, all we, the things. <laughs> we are on, you know, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but you can't listen to our episodes there. You can actually listen to our episodes on our website. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but the episodes are also just on there. So if for some reason you don't have your phone with you and you still want to listen, just go to the website. But anyway, you can find us on all of the things. So be sure you have subscribes. You get notifications for all of our new episodes every Tuesday. Boom. All right, Tyler. We changed it up a little bit. How we're doing our topics. Yes, so this we is did. our this is our first one where We're just going to take turns picking topics every week because that's just, I don't know, it's like a natural evolution of the podcast. Yeah. You picked this week's topic. So what are we, I was about to ask you what we're talking about. I know. (laughs) Tell our listeners. Tell our listeners what we're talking about. Okay. Listen, um, summer is here in full force in Texas. It's 300,000 degrees outside right now. I have already been sunburned multiple times. I a little (laughs) bit got a face mask burn on my face and it was a nightmare. Thankfully that's faded. But I was thinking, let's cool things down just a little bit. And (laughs) that, as as what I'm about to say, you're all gonna give me the exact same look Brittany just did, which was a little bit of horror, a little bit of disgust, a little bit of understanding. A little bit of laughter. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so um, we're going to do frozen bodies for this episode. Victims who were either frozen to death or were just like found frozen after. Um, really what this made me think of, Brittany did a Survivor episode long time ago of a woman who was basically her ex-husband packed her into a barrel, packed oh, it yeah. full of snow, and she was in it for hours and somehow survived and i was like holy shit and that is a case that has stuck with me the entire time and so yeah we're gonna we're gonna go along that frozen vein and do frozen bodies yeah um this is horrifying because you know there's like the age-old question would you rather like freeze to death or burn to death The answer is freeze. The answer is always freeze to death. If you ever choose, I'd rather burn to death than a fire, you're wrong. My answer would also be freeze to death. But so it's like, I don't know, this this is a very interesting topic. So before we get into our cases, let's pop open our wine. Yes, yes. So, Brittany, now that we have our wines in front of us and we have our topic... I am not out to launch into the cases. Tell me what wine you got. <laughs> You're just like, we're we're all out of order today, but... A little bit. It's okay. It's going to get even more out of order because we're about to start drinking. Um, mm. I picked the 2019 Famille Bourguier Anjou Blanc from the Loire Valley in France. 
What? So- Brittany picked a French wine? Oh my god, y'all. This has never happened before. You know, I can't help myself, okay? But at least this one's different. I actually featured this winery in episode 105, so not too long ago. I did their Chardonnay. (laughs) And this time, this one's a Chenin Blanc. I honestly don't drink a lot of Chenin Blanc, and it has been a long time since I have had one. So I'm just going to have to tell you about this wine, and we'll see, see how this turns out. But it is a dry white wine that has aromas of spring floral notes, and scents of apple, lime, and a little bit of cinnamon. So a little bit of spice that's thrown in there. It's medium dry and very balanced. You definitely serve it chilled, preferably 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Mine has not chilled that much. So I'm going to be totally honest with you. I'm going to pour my first glass and then pop this back in the fridge because it's not ready. Um, But it's really good with, like, as a starting out wine for your meal. So having it with your salads chicken fish lighter meals basically not red meat but you know what drink it with your red meat if you want to do it and the loire valley as i talked about a few episodes ago it's one of these pristine areas there was something that just flew over i know you saw like a black shadow go over my (laughs) face i was like what just happened (laughs) so it was like a horror movie scene Brittany's sitting here describing her wine and this big ass black shadow just moves across her yeah was it a plane i'm pretty sure it was a plane so i'm uh facing my window and there's i'm like i'm really close to the airport and so planes are going overhead all the time not as many as there used to be but there's a lot of planes going around and when it's in the middle of the day and it's bright in here it's these flashes of black it happens all the time it's so weird but I guess you're not used to seeing it, because I saw your, you just, like, jumped. You were like, what the fuck? A little bit. You know what's (laughs) one of my favorite things to do when I'm flying and I have a window seat and it's the day? Because I'm super lame like this. I love looking out the window and looking at the ground to see if you can see the plane's shadow. Oh, that's interesting. I just like looking at the ground in general. I mean, same. My ass, I'm that passenger's face is pressed up to the window like I've never been on a plane before. God, I love flying. All right, so this is a screw top. Like I was saying, uh, the Loire Valley, very well known for delicious, pristine, fantastic wine in France. So let's I thought you were going to say this. very well known for screw tops. And I was like, oh, <laughs> didn't know that. Didn't know they were the industry leader in no cork. Okay, let's pour this. Ooh. Oh, that's light. It is definitely a lighter. Um, it said it's medium dry, so medium body. Definitely not a heavy white mm-hmm. at all. Okay. I have got to go pop this back in the fridge. I do this all the time when I have a white wine for our episodes. Like, I either chill it too long or forget to put it in the fridge with enough time. I should have put this in the freezer, but it's okay. So this mm-hmm. won't be chilled enough when I try it here in a minute, but it smells really good. I'm excited Almost to hear what like, you think. Okay, so this is going to sound weird, but it's like it smells like apples and feet. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking gross. <laughs> okay, well, maybe it's more like cheese rind, okay? I know. I mean, Parmesan smells like straight up bad feet, so I get it. <laughs> and Parmesan's delicious. It's also yes. one of the few cheeses I can eat in mass. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that. Okay, okay, so only because I'm starting to show symptoms of 
being lactose intolerant, and I refuse to accept it, so <laughs> please Listen, no. Listen, two-thirds of the world is lactose intolerant, so you're probably lactose intolerant. Listeners, everyone listening right now, put down that big-ass glass of whole milk that I know you're drinking right now during the podcast. Ew. You're probably <laughs> lactose intolerant. <laughs> But this is not a milk podcast. It is. It is not a milk podcast. It is. Uh, oh, but it is a beverage podcast, kind of. And <laughs> I'm going to get into my beverage, which yes. is wine. What wine did you pick? So, um, first off, I feel like we both failed here, as this was the perfect opportunity to do an ice wine, and neither of us did that. Dude, we can't get ice wine here. Okay, well, I'm just saying. <laughs> would have been an opportunity. Um, I know. We need to go to Canada to get some. Okay, well, once airports reopen, we'll just hop on a plane to Canada. Um, but in the same vein of a missed opportunity wine, uh, this is one I absolutely should have done last episode. Because it is the 2018 Cremele Recas Legendary Estate Series Cabernet Sauvignon from the Transylvania region of Romania. You did mess up, dude. I know. I'm like, shit, we just did vampires, and now I'm drinking a Transylvanian wine. Damn it. Well, and you drank... Strongbow. Strongbow. <laughs> because someone had broken into my bodega. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'm going to drink this one now. And it is a Romanian Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't think I've ever actually had a wine from like the Carpathian region of Europe. The Bulgarian Agamza was from Bulgaria, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, so, maybe. But I'm interested to see what this one tastes like. I feel like Eastern European wines are ones that we really don't see a ton. No. Uh, so I'm excited to see what this is like, especially with it being a cab. So it's a grape I'm very familiar with. I feel like I'll be more oh. able to tell kind of the differences in the terroir and stuff from it being from a different part of the continent. I'm really jealous. I really want to try this wine. I I got it. I didn't even realize where it was from when I got it. The label's what drew me in. It's just a very simple uh, kind of parchment colored label. And at the top, it has this little artwork of a hot air balloon in like primary colors. And that's the only color on the bottle. It's cute as fuck. But it is. This wine, this Romanian Cabernet Sauvignon, it is very dark garnet in color, so that really deep dark red. It has aromas of red cherry, red plum, and vanilla. And the plum is one I don't think I'm... One, I don't know what the fuck a plum tastes like. I don't think I've ever eaten a plum in my entire life. But I also don't... Th don't give me that look. When have you eaten a plum? Like every year. Plums are great. You don't buy plums? Clearly you don't. They're great, okay? No. I mean, my favorite jam growing up that our grandma used to make was plum. So I've had that. But an actual, like, biting into a plum. No, I only realized they were, like, green on the inside, like, a year ago. I know. They, you always think they're purple. They're not. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, smells like plums. Uh, the flavors, though, black cherry, red cherry, and black plum... Uh, and then it has a really soft tannic finish. So I'm interested because I feel like plum is not a descriptor that we see a lot in wines. No. So it's also a screw top. There you go. And like yours, mine uh, 
didn't spend too too long in the fridge it's a red so it doesn't need to spend that long but it's it's almost room temp oh i was about to ask you if you got new glasses but you're using your valley mills wine glass yeah what does it smell like your face is interesting i mean it fruit but like a deeper i mean i guess plum hmm okay if you hadn't read plum what would it smell like to you oh i mean i can smell fruit but I, i don't think i'd be able to place it because like yeah i get the cherry but it's maybe pomegranate oh interesting something like that some something in that kind of uh, i i would say a hearty peach that doesn't smell light and citrusy which i'm now that i think about it is a plum it's a so. plum yeah plum uh all right though well grab your wine and i say cheers cheers Ooh, that's nice Good. What does it taste like? Com- How would you compare that to, like, a Napa Cab? It's definitely not as heavy as um, a Napa Cab. Definitely not as, like, black fruits and fruit forward like that. It's lighter fruit flavors. It needs to breathe, but it's very smooth. You know, sometimes you'll have a cab that'll kind of punch you in the face with its tannins. Yes, this one, not at all. It's a very smooth drinking wine. It's one I would say is the perfect wine for like, you got a patio or a wooden deck. You got those like fairy lights with the Edison bulbs. And you're like, ooh, it's a little late for dinner. It's like 9 p.m. So it's like actually kind of dark outside. But let's bring dinner outside. I imagine, I'm picturing this with, like, a nice, like, hearty grilled pork chop or steak and some asparagus. I'm hungry, I think. That sounds so good. Um, That wine sounds amazing. It, yeah. I'm a big fan. And it was $9, something like that. Not too bad. I think I forgot to tell you how much mine was. I think this was, like, 11 at Total Wine. But let me tell you about this Chenin Blanc. It is... Definitely medium dry, so it's a little bit sweeter than a lot of the wines that I drink, but it's not as sweet as like a Vouvray, which is just like way too sweet for me, um, or a Moscato, not that sweet. It's just got hints of sweetness that's a little bit like peach. Definitely tasting the floral, the apple is coming through, but it tastes more of peach, uh, smells more of apple. And when you compare this to, say, a Sauvignon Blanc, you know, that we love, it's nowhere near as tart. It's definitely a tamer taste. So it's very smooth, easy drinking. This would be one that I think would be really fantastic in a white wine spritzer. If you wanted to add some bubbles um, or even like adding some Prosecco in here, or I guess it is a French wine, adding a little champagne to give it some bubbles. Mm, or if you made like a white rum sangria with that and some peaches. Yeah, this would be perfect for a white sangria. Really, really good summer wine outside middle of the day. It's pretty much perfect for like this moment right now. Have we ever done made a white sangria for our listeners? No. We did a white mold wine or a mold rosé. We did mold rosé. We should do a white sangria this summer. We should. Oh my god, get some fresh in-season peaches. Yep. Maybe throw in some, like, frozen raspberries. Oh my god. So, like, dot it around. Yes. Holy shit, y'all. We gonna do this. 
Um, okay. Well, we've got our wine. We've got our topic. Brittany, why don't you tell me about your frozen body case? Yes. I am doing the Houston Icebox Murders. Oh, shit. Okay. The sources I used, an article in Houstonia Mag by Nikki Kotig, an article in Mental Floss by Jake Rosen, an article in the Houston Press by John Nova Lomax, and an article on BuzzFeed by Anna Kopsky. So on June 23rd, 1965, in Houston, police got a call for a welfare check on Fred and Edwina Rogers. Their neighbor called, um, and another account says that actually their nephew, Marvin Martin, got really worried when he hadn't heard from them. Their neighbor or their nephew gave the police a call and they were like, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of Fred and Edwina. There's been no answer on the phone. We've gone to their door. No one's coming to the door. Can you can you do a welfare check just for our peace of mind? And the cops were like, yeah, totally. So Charles Bullock and his partner, L.M. Barta, arrived at Fred and Edwina's house. And they noticed that the flower pods had been stacked against the entrance, like, so they couldn't get in. So they had to push their way inside. Like, it was just a very awkward, like, something's not right here. Wait, so they couldn't get in? Or so someone couldn't get out? Like, are the flower pots on the inside or outside? Do they have a bunch of flower pots just, like, in their foyer? You know, I'm honestly not sure. And my sources, some said it was the front door, some said it was the back door. The point being, there was stuff in the way of the door and they had to push their way in. Okay, yeah, that makes, yes. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would there be all these flower pots stacked? That's weird. But when they entered the house, with their, like, initial look around, nothing seemed off. Like, it just looked like a house that was empty. Bullock did notice, though, that there was food left on the dining room table, and he did think that was a little bit weird. And because of that, he just had this, like, well, I'm just going to look around the kitchen, and he opened the fridge. Still, nothing looked off. He just saw some stacks of meat, but it was a lot of meat. However... Oh, God. Oh, I I don't like that at all. They could have just gone to the butcher. And mind you, this is Texas. Okay, we eat a lot of meat here. I No, I know. It totally would make sense. Like, oh yeah, Edwina, she just got back uh, from hunting and got herself a deer. It's Texas. That's not weird. I just because of what your case is, and because it's called <laughs> the Houston Freezer Murders, I'm gonna go ahead and say, oh, Houston Icebox Murders. I'm gonna go ahead and say that that's probably not deer meat. Well, right before Bullock closes the fridge, something caught his eye in the crisper drawer. Which, by the way, I never think of those as crisper drawers, but that's totally what they're called. Where you put your fruit and veggies, it's a yeah, crisper it's drawer. A crisper. It's just the veggie drawer. Okay. Well, there weren't veggies in this drawer. Bullock opens the drawer, and he found two severed heads. <gasps> and they belonged to Fred and Edwina. That's a big-ass crisper drawer. Well, it was two. They were next to each other. That's a big-ass crisper <laughs> drawer. Um, I know that's not the thing I should be shocked about, but... Oh, my God. Well, Their he- Jesus. Okay. Well, and as you were alluding to, all on the shelves in the freezer compartment were the dismembered bodies, cut up and wrapped, washed off. 
the the pieces were smaller than individual joints. So it really did just look like a ton of meat. And it was. It was just their body parts. Investigators later concluded that Edwina had been shot in the head and Fred had been beaten to death with a claw hammer. So they very much had different ways of uh, being killed. The two of them were then dragged to the master bathroom, drained of their blood, chopped into pieces, and their heads, limbs, and torsos were placed in the fridge. Some of their um, internal organs and their sex organs were later found in the nearby sewer line. So the thought is that they were flushed down the toilet, Mm -hmm. while the rest of their remains were never discovered. So 100% of both of their bodies was never found. Autopsies later showed that the murders had been committed on Father's Day, which was June 20th, three days before they were discovered. And the medical examiner said that whoever did this apparently took their time and they knew what they were doing because the dismembering was done fairly neatly. So, I mean, it, I mean, this tells me that whoever did this, they're not worried about someone coming in or like, oh, I need to like cut up and break down these bodies to like get rid of them, hide the evidence. It's someone who has enough time to like expertly butcher them. Yeah, and drain them of their blood, which I'm assuming means hanging upside down in the bathroom. I don't know how else you do that, but... I mean, I think that's how they do it for, like, cattle and pigs and shit. Me too. I'm pretty sure. Oh, oh my lord. So, you know when, like, I can't get a hold of you for hours at a time? Yeah, I'm gonna now think your head's in the crisper. Okay, well, just know that my crisper door is way too small to fit my head. Thank Honestly, God. Honestly, my fridge is too small to fit me, let alone my freezer. Dear God, it's full of smoothie bags and frozen green beans. There's not, you're not putting <laughs> any part of me in there. Maybe my foot. You know That's what it. I have? A ton of vegetable scraps because I make broth like it's my business. I also don't even have a pantry, so you don't have to worry about me in this. (laughs) No, I'm just messing with you. But how horrifying is that? That you call, like, either for your neighbor or your aunt, uncle, whichever, whoever it is, call for anyone for a welfare check. And the police go, and initially they're like, no, everything looks good. Holy shit. Nope, nope. This is the opposite of good. Well, I will say, I think food and meals being, like, left out on the table is one of the most foreboding and creepiest things. Because regardless of the situation, that means something happened that either interrupted you or you had to leave so immediately you couldn't even put the food in the trash or back in the fridge. So that terrifies me. It makes me think of, like chernobyl type stuff i was just gonna say pripyat yeah for some reason and i don't i know tyler you don't listen to a lot of other podcasts especially ones that are like storytelling ones but there's a podcast called lime town and listeners if you have not listened to this holy shit i totally recommend it it is about like and I think the first season came out in like 2014 or 15. It has been a very long time. And season two just came out, I think, last year. And there's a book. And there's also like a Facebook thing that I need to watch. But basically, it's about this city where there was some something happened. And everyone had to leave. And there was like testing. And like there was all the nuclear shit. And this reporter 
is trying to dig and she digs a little bit too much and i'll just i'll just say it stay there with that but when uh, i think she had to buy a new shovel <laughs> when mm, i when i hear about like dining rooms being left with like food on the table i just think of like nuclear disasters where yes the, i don't know it's just horrifying your case already is just horrifying well, let me tell you a little bit about Fred and Edwina. Fred was 81 years old, and he was a retired real estate salesman. And Edwina was a sales rep. Their Houston home and their activities, they, you know, they seemed pretty unremarkable to neighbors. They were just your basic people, retired, doing their thing. They're just an old couple, yeah, doing their thing. Except that their son still lived with them. And they're up there, 81 and 79, and their son still lives so, with them. He could be 60. He's not. He's 43. So oh. he had a very reclusive personality, and his name was Charles Frederick Rogers, and he was a Navy vet of World War II. After he got a bachelor's degree in nuclear physics from the University of Houston, he then enlisted in the Navy and learned to fly planes, which... I don't know why he didn't uh, join the Air Force, but whatever. There you go. I mean, Navy flies a lot of planes. Wait, they do? I always think of they're just on ships. Well, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure the aircraft carriers that are in a ship, I I think those are all Navy run. They might be Air Force run, but I think that's Navy. Well, there you go. He was a pilot in the Navy. He also became a seismologist and later spent nine years working for the Shell Oil Company. Which makes sense as to why, you know, Houston, there you go. Yeah. Then randomly, Charles just quit his job. And neighbors later said they didn't even know he lived there. He had this habit of getting up before dawn and then coming home after dark, um, even though he didn't have a job. That's kind of weird. Adding even more suspicion is the fact that Charles only communicated with his parents through notes that he would slip under his bedroom door and they would answer back with slipping a note back to him. Um, The maid later said that it was possible Edwina and Fred had not seen Charles face-to-face for about five years, even though they lived in the same home. What? Yeah, so Charles is an interesting character and their relationship is broken i mean he's a world war ii vet so dear god only knows what this man saw but he's very much a recluse and to the neighborhood he's like super weird yeah for those that even knew he was there like i said some neighbors had no idea he even lived with his parents charles quickly became the main suspect which obviously he lives in the same house and the comment you made about someone taking their time in dismembering the bodies and not worrying about someone arriving. So that could mean Charles did it and he knew no one was coming over or the fact that no one knew Charles lived there. They didn't think anyone was coming over. So. And the fact that the murders happened on father's day. Yep. Another reason Charles was their main suspect is that they noticed the house had been very carefully cleaned. However, There was still a little bit of a blood trail that led to his attic bedroom, and they found a handsaw that they believed was what was used to perform the dismemberment in his room. Okay, so either he absolutely did it, or whoever did it is straight up doing their best to frame him. 
Yes. And so as the only presumably living member of this household, knowing like his insight and what he knows, maybe even like possibly getting him to confess, like that's really valuable. The police need to talk to Charles. Yeah. And because Charles knew how to fly, authorities checked nearby airfields to... (laughs) Planes. (laughs) I was like, why are you laughing? We had a conversation about this. (laughs) I know, but just the way you said, because he knew how to fly, I'm like, of course he did. Flap your arms and go. Shit, okay, he got those superpowers. No, because he knew how to fly planes... The authorities were looking at all these different different airfields. They were seeing if anyone matching his description had left the area by plane. But nothing turned up. And with Charles being so reclusive, there was pretty much not a trail to follow. And not many people even knew him. He didn't really have friends. Like, him disappearing was not difficult. Well, and if his parents maybe hadn't seen him face-to-face in five years, who the hell else had... And so, what the fuck does he actually look like, even? Well, and what was he doing during the day when he would leave before the sun came up and then return after it set? What Maybe it, wh- he was a jogger. Just an avid jogger. Well, unfortunately, the police never got the opportunity to speak to Charles, who, despite a nationwide manhunt, he was never seen or heard from again. And in oh. ni- yeah, and in 1975, so 10 years after Fred and Edwina's murder, Charles was declared legally dead. Oh, shit. I didn't even think of the fact that he totally could have also been a murder victim or maybe kidnapped by whoever did this. Maybe. So there are some theories as to what happened to yeah. Fred and Edwina. And the top theory is about Charles. So... Obviously, like we talked about, he's the main suspect. He's like the easy one to pinpoint it on. But did he really do it? Well, in 1997, a Houston couple, Hugh and Martha Gardner, they began reinvestigating the Icebox murders because the case is still open. They even published a book on the subject titled The Icebox Murders, and they really believe that Charles is the one who did it. They say that Charles was physically and emotionally abused by his parents well into his adulthood. And then at the end of their lives, they were defrauding him by forging his signature on deeds of land that he owned. Because one thing that was very peculiar is that Charles actually owned the house that they all lived in. It was not his parents' house. It was Charles's house. His parents lived with him. Oh. But most people thought it was their house. Because yeah. they were the only ones that were out and about. Charles was not really known, but he was the real homeowner. I mean, it's not that weird, like, you know, older parents living with you. No, it's not. But what makes it weird is most people not knowing it was even his house. Like, oh, he lived there. And then Fred and Edwina moved in and they're, you know, his older parents. The fact that everyone assumed it was their house and half people didn't even know about him. That's weird. Well, he could have bought it for them before he went off to World War II. Oh, I guess that's true. And then they lived in the house, and then he worked at Shell, and he was doing his own thing, and then eventually moved into the house. So, it's like... back then, a house was the cost of, like, a dollar meal, so... Basically. (laughs) So, apparently, Edwina had taken out some loans um, in his name and then pocketed the money. 
The gardeners asserted that a few days after the murders, someone matching Charles's physical description was overheard asking about a job overseas. Of course, using an alias. They were not saying their name is Charles. Yeah, but I mean, someone who has like military experience, seismology experience with an oil company. Oh, shit, yeah. They get a job overseas like that, especially in like the 60s. Totally. The gardeners claimed that Charles utilized his contacts in the oil and mining industries and that he ended up in Mexico. What happened to Charles after that is we don't know. Because, again, this is all a theory. We don't know if any of this is true. And the gardeners believe that he met a really violent uh, death there in Mexico and that he's gone. One of the other theories is definitely a stretch. So some, notably John R. Craig and A. Rogers Phillip, who wrote a book in 1992 called The Man on the Grassy Knoll. (laughs) Yeah. Oh. They claimed that Charles Rogers was a hitman for the CIA. And not just any hitman. But along with Woody Harrelson's dad, Charles Harrelson, which, side note, Woody Harrelson, the actor, his father is a convicted criminal. Yes, I knew that, actually. I did not know that before this. And so I went on this, like, whole rabbit hole after I read this one line. I was like, how, how did I not know this? Woody Harrelson's, like, hot. I love Woody Harrelson. His voice is so unique. His characters are so unique. And for those of you, for any of our listeners who have read the Dark Tower series... He is Roland in my head. I, Tyler, this means nothing to you because you haven't means. started the Dark Tower series. But I'm not going to. You know what? I'm on the second one and it's really good. The first one, painful. Sorry, Steven. Love you. That one's hard to get through. But it's the setup for the entire series, so I get it. It's also yeah. like 200 pages. And when you read any Stephen King book, the first couple hundred pages, a lot of it is background and setup. Yeah. Anyway, um, Woody Harrelson, but- love him. I mean, Woody Harrelson, he he could husband me up like that. But yeah, I, I remember reading somewhere a couple years ago, I guess, that like, yeah, his father was like a world or like an international criminal. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I know. It's so random. Okay. Also, he was on Cheers. Like, that's how he got his start. That's weird. Or am I thinking, no, it, that was Woody Harrelson. I'm pretty sure I never watched Cheers. I Obviously me neither. <laughs> I don't remember which one is Cheers and which one is Happy Days. And if I ever actually saw an episode of either. Or just knew that when the theme song started, turn off Nick at Night. Okay, well, one is a bar. One is like high school kids, right? Happy Days, high school kids. I don't kids. know. I was born in 1993. Okay, so back to this theory. Yes. So Charles is said to be one of the two Grassy Knoll gunmen of the JFK assassination lore. We don't even know if there was truly anyone on the Grassy Knoll, but that is one of the- There wasn't. It is one of the biggest theories of the JFK assassination. And so in this theory, it was, uh, I guess, Woody Harrelson's dad and Charles Rogers. And both of their names were Charles, by the way. But also, that was 1963. So they're saying that that was two years before. Are they saying during one of his, like, left before the sunrise, came back after it set, he, like, road tripped from Houston to Dallas to shoot JFK? I don't know about this. 
Well, later on in the theory, it says that Rogers also allegedly um, posed as Lee Harvey Oswald and that the alleged, so Charles being the alleged assassin's alleged temporary stay was in Mexico City. So this is all alleged because, again, it's a fucking theory. I have seen enough, like, National Geographic documentaries and independent research and stuff that I personally do not see any validity to, like, the second shooter, dude on the grassy knoll. Because, like, the biggest thing I've ever seen with it is, like, oh, well, the bullet, like, curved in midair and was magic. And then, literally, you dig a little deeper and you're like, no, it didn't. The car was just not built like a normal car because it was the fucking presidential (laughs) motorcade. So the seats were not one right behind the other that was in and raised and... It, it, then you line it up and you're like, oh, yeah, th- that's one bullet track. But regardless. If you would like to hear more on Tyler's theories of the JFK assassination, listen to episode, I think, like eight or nine. Uh, we definitely, oh, yeah. I, I covered that case. I have, like, such a fascination with the JFK assassination, but I'm not going to jump down that rabbit hole. But that's obviously yeah. why I included this theory, because I was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? I don't believe this one at all, by the way. No, I mean, to me, that's one of the theories. It's like, what are other conspiracy things that happened around the same time? It, I mean, it would be like, oh, it happened today. Well, you know that actually the theory is that he was involved in the disappearance of Malaysia Flight 370. It's like, no, those aren't, <laughs> th- those aren't related, honey. So the rest of this theory states that local forensic artist Lewis Gibson maintains that Charles Rogers was one of the three tramps that was mysteriously arrested and released by Dallas police after the killing of the president. I don't know who the three tramps are, but apparently that's another part of this. I I know it means like homeless person in 1960s talk, but it just means Is me that what it like, means? I'm a tramp. I'm a dirty slut. I didn't know. That is horrible that they would call people who didn't have a place to live uh, a tramp. That's awful. So anyway, supposedly he was one of the men that was arrested and then released. And the theory states that Charles's parents found one of his notebooks and they had been tracking his phone calls. His parents had been? Yes, his parents had been. I mean, I guess it's the 60s. So all you need to track someone's phone call is like, oh, they're on the phone. Let me pick up the phone in the kitchen and just listen. So apparently his parents learned too much and he decided they needed to be eliminated. Um, And so that's why he killed them. But if you think about this, why someone in the CIA would um, live with their parents? Like why the CIA would have one of their key operatives living in his parents' attic bedroom and why, if Charles was this really great CIA agent, he would make the mistake of leaving one of his notebooks out uh, for his parents to find? Like, that's obviously not, that is not going to happen. Your parents aren't going to find your CIA diary. No. <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> today, was I... was a toughie today. <laughs> I had to cause the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Jimmy put gum in my hair. <laughs> basically cia diary you know that'd be a really cool book by the way i uh, imagine abc is about to pick that show up right now it will star katherine heigl it will be canceled after eight episodes (laughs) 
And that's the tea. Uh, no, I also think if he was this, like, world-class CIA assassination, who... Assassin? The CIA, yes, assassin, uh, whom the CIA entrusted to assassinate the President of the United States, um, and he was gonna, like, oh shit, my parents know too much, um, I think that probably we would never know about them being murdered, I think there would have been there would have been enough planted evidence and shit that it's like, oh, well, um, Fred and Edwina went and retired in Cozumel, and that's it. You know, that's a really good point. I do not think a CIA agent would dismember a body and put it in the fridge like meat, especially the heads in the crisper drawers. No, because if it's like this kind of global conspiracy, take down the world's governments, whatever, whatever, um. Yeah, the big thing they're gonna, like, want to do, their goal, is, like, not be found out. So cutting up the bodies and just putting them in the fridge, (laughs) that that ain't gonna fly. Because obviously something happened, you know? Like, they didn't just disappear. They were straight up murdered Mm -hmm. and dismembered. So it's been decades since this murder, and it's unlikely we're ever gonna know who did it, what caused it. And if Charles Rogers did not commit the crime, then his disappearance is kind of inexplicable unless he was also a victim and just not disposed of in the fridge that is true no one appeared to have any type of motive other than charles to kill fred and edwina and if charles's disappearance is actually because he was killed by an unknown third party whoever did that like you were just saying they did a really good job removing all traces of him yeah um he totally did it that's what i believe I am definitely aligned with uh, the first theory I talked about, Hugh and Martha's theory, that Charles lived with his parents and maybe there was some type of abuse and it was just, and it took it out, he like took it out on them by murdering them, like he just couldn't take it anymore. Or maybe there was a lot of PTSD, like who mm-hmm. knows why someone would kill their parents? There's just... I was about to say, there are way too many reasons. That is not what I meant. (laughs) Sorry, mama. (laughs) No, what I mean is like, there are a lot of different situations that someone could justify to do. Wow, this still sounds horrible. (laughs) It does. It does. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I think our parents who are listening right now (laughs) just uh, turn the volume down and are like, I think, I think. Brittany doesn't need to come over for Christmas this year. (laughs) Shut up. No, I'm just saying people do that for reasons. None of them justified. No reason for murder is justified. But like, anyway, I I don't know. I think Charles did it. We hear, we often hear stories about people killing their parents. Like that is not an uncommon case we've done. Also, to me, there is too much symbolism to murdering your parents on Father's Day that I feel like that had to I have know. been a trigger or represent something specific to it. I I think he totally did it. Yeah. Like, I mean, I wasn't there. I'm not an investigator from the 60s. That's not what people sounded like in the 60s. Uh, but I wasn't. Um, but he totally did it. He totally did it. So, yeah, that Shit. is the Houston Icebox Murders. Okay, damn. I know. I think I'm going to need some more wine after that. Uh, same. Let me just, let me top my glass off. Uh, same. My glass has been empty for a while. Yeah. Um, so we're both totally in agreement that Charles did it. But with that, uh, tell me about your frozen bodies case. What, uh, what did you pull out of the freezer? I hated that. 
<laughs> I knew you would. So my murder that I... I'm not even going to say pull out of the freezer. I hate that. <laughs> um, my murder is the murder of Anne Noblet. And the sources I used, Wikipedia, the murder of Anne Noblet, an article by Alice from defrostedcoldcases.com, and a BBC article by Phil Shepka. You know, I know that we've uh, said defrosted cold cases, but in this episode, that just has so many layers of <gasps> meaning. Oh, it does. I just caught that. Oh, Lord. So, on December 30th of 1957, it's just after 6 p.m., and Anne Noblet, she gets off the bus, and this bus stop, it's at the corner of Lower Luton Road and Cherry Tree Lane in the town of Wheathampstead in the United Kingdom. And from this bus stop, it's just like a quarter of a mile to her house. So, you know, it's the bus stop closest to her house. It's 6 p.m., it's December 30th, so it's dark right. in England at 6 p.m. But it's not late by any means. No. I would totally also walk home. And Anne, she's 17. She lives at her house with her parents and her brothers. And that night, what she was coming home from, she'd gone to a rock and roll dance class with some of her friends. You know, they, had, they went to the class, had fun. I'm imagining, like, it's the late 50s so it's not you know jazzercise in the 80s but i'm imagining that in the 50s rock and roll dance class maybe they were all wearing poodle skirts i don't know after the class she gets on the bus and she gets off her stop and she's like deuces out to her friends she's like hey i'll see y'all on friday she starts walking home and the last time she is ever seen is by another local young girl shirley edwards they kind of pass each other on the sidewalk. Like, Anne is walking to her house. Mm -hmm. Shirley's going the other way. She's on her scooter. And that was the last time anyone ever saw Anne Noblet alive. Her parents immediately got worried. They knew when the class was over. Um, I assume they called friends and they were like, she got off the bus and walked towards the house. And it's like kind of a small town, like... There's nothing else she could have walked to other right. than walking home. Right. There were no other stops she could have made. Exactly. So her parents immediately reported her missing. And about a month later, a little over a month later, on January 31st of 1958, that's when her body was found. So two brothers, Hugh and Brian Simons, they're out walking their dog. They're in the Rose Grove Woods. Uh, which is near Horn Hill in Whitwell. It's about seven miles from where she was last seen. Oh my god, that's so, far. Yeah, it's it's not like she got lost or went there on her own. Obviously, she was taken there. But they're out walking their dog, and that's when they find her body. They told police that her body, it wasn't like visible from the road, but if you kind of veered off the road a little bit, that's where you could see, you know, that's where they found her. Um, and she was near a cart track. I don't know what a cart track is. English listeners, help me. Train track? It says cart track that's used as a shortcut by the locals. So maybe like, I don't know, it's not a road, but you can kind of use it as one. Like a sidewalk. No, I mean, but it's through <laughs> the woods. It's I don't a trail. Know. 
Okay. It's a cart track. <laughs> yeah. It's a trail. There you go. Yeah. English listeners, if y'all know what a cart track is, let me know. But um, because they were walking their dog, they're walking along the cart track and not along the road. And so that's kind of how they stumbled upon her body. But even though it had been a month since she disappeared, her body, there were no signs of decomp. There was no damage from the elements or from animals. It was like perfect pristine. That is really surprising that not even animals disturbed her. Yeah. That tells me I wasn't there long. Yeah, I was about to say, she couldn't have been laying there for the entire month. Because something, even just insects, would have gotten to her. Exactly. So when Anne's body was found, she was fully clothed and she was actually wearing her overcoat. But when police kind of started looking at it and investigating her further, it was pretty clear that she'd been stripped by someone and then redressed because like her underclothes and everything it like wasn't buttoned right and correctly oh they weren't put on right yeah and and was still wearing her glasses but they weren't like properly on her nose like she'd just been wearing them they'd also been like placed kind of haphazardly shoved on her face yeah jeez and so the police determined that most likely she had been strangled and probably suffered a sexual assault. But the most kind of perplexing part of it is that when she was found, her body was frozen solid. Oh, wait. Okay. But is also like wintertime. The way it was like that she was redressed and left and that there were no signs of decomp or animals getting at her. She hadn't been, like, frozen by it being cold outside. Oh, my God. Uh... Because even in England in the winter, I mean, someone's body would have to be laid out in the woods for hours and hours for it to actually freeze solid. And by that point, there would have been signs of decomp and stuff. Right. Jeez. So whatever happened to her, she was put into some type of freezer or something. Yeah. And also, the temperature outside during this time, it was pretty mild. You know, some of the nights, yeah, it got below freezing, but during the days, it wasn't. There's no way that naturally her body could have been frozen solid by the elements. Right. I mean, if it's only cold enough at night and just getting a little below freezing, that's not going to freeze a body solid. Yeah. Especially if in the morning it's not, and so you just, like... It's just like snow. It's just like ice. Dew, snow, frost, all the things. I don't know. Exactly. So it was determined by police investigators. uh, The local police were also working with the Scotland Yard murder squad. The investigators determined that she'd probably been picked up somewhere between the bus stop and her house. And possibly by someone she knew. You know, someone driving by being like, oh, Anne, I can give you a ride the rest of the way home. No. And again, that her body could not have been frozen naturally. She didn't just get lost in the woods. That is not what happened here. Exactly. And so investigators considered that she'd been refrigerated after being murdered. And the press dubbed the killing the deep freeze murder. Goddamn the press. Like, come on, guys. Mine's the icebox murders, and yours is the deep freeze. Like, these are people. I, I know. I just have, I get it. I get why they create these names. 
It's for recognition. It's also for appeal is the word that comes to me. And that's not really right. But it is at the same time. It's to give people to read the information. But man, some of them are just, come on. And I get it for like, I don't know, newsworthy purposes. I don't want to say branding, but that's essentially what it is. But yeah, I'm like, you could also just sit, you know, the knoblet murder and actually like made it about her. I know. And not this like fantastical newsworthy thing. But I I 100% agree. So in her autopsy, they determined that she'd been murdered pretty soon after being abducted because the food she'd eaten that day, it still hadn't been digested. And that pretty immediately after being murdered, she was placed in some kind of refrigeration unit. And then that the murderer transported her frozen body and carried it from a vehicle to the spot in the woods where she was found because there weren't any signs that she was dragged. I mean, she was placed there. So whoever this was either had to be really strong or more than one person because her frozen body weighed 11 stone. Because if I remember correctly, one stone is like 14 pounds. So, and that's a 154 pounds to carry. That that would be difficult for one person to carry unless they were really strong or two people. So after her murder, police, they did a huge extensive search on all refrigeration units in like a 30 mile radius because it's not like she could have been placed in a like home fridge or freezer. And they say refrigeration units. She was frozen solid. So it, it I mean, freezer units kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm imagining either one of those large freezers that some people have in their garages or even like a restaurant or a butcher's yeah. like refrigerator unit that's a walk-in. Something that's big enough to where... Because she wouldn't even fold it up either. Oh, sorry. God. No. I, I said that and I just pictured it and that was horrible. I know. She was laying down like it was a big unit. So probably yeah, not so even, even the garage ones. That's that's what I was going to say. Like even a garage freezer unit, I, I mean, they, you would have had to bend her legs or something. So they're looking at like restaurants and uh factories industrial places different like farmland kind of thing just to see you know is there evidence of her being in any of those places because whoever did this had access to like industrial scale or i guess commercial scale freezing units yeah so several case reviews have taken place over the decades following her murder the last one being in February of 2017. Oh, that's recent. And, and police admit that it's very likely since her murder happened in the late 50s that the murderer has probably died since then. Yeah. And the possibility of discovering the identity of who did this is really low. I mean, there's a huge lack of DNA evidence that was collected because it was the 50s. No physical evidence remains. So they're still searching and still looking, but to this day, uh, the murder of Anne Noblet is unsolved. There are so many questions in yours. Yeah. Like, who did this? Why did they do it? Why did they put her in a freezer and then pull her out of the freezer and put her in the in the middle of the woods? And 
it was such a short distance. That always breaks my heart when someone is just almost home, or even home. Yeah, I mean, she was a quarter mile away from her house, where her parents were, her family were. She's 17. Yeah. You know, it's not like she's being risky taking the bus at 6 p.m. No, it's not even late. That's another heartbreaking part of this. It's just, it's not a scenario that anyone would give a second thought to. Like, there there was no reason to think she wasn't completely safe. Exactly. And then she was taken, sexually assaulted, strangled, and frozen. I don't like your case at all. I don't like either of our cases. No. Freezing a body is a really, really horrific thing to do. Yeah. Because it's not... I feel like one of the horrifying things about it is because I feel like generally when someone's killed, they want to, like, dispose of or get rid of the body, get rid of evidence. And the act of freezing is preservation. You're reading my mind right now because I was about to say, however, they're preserving evidence, potentially. Because, for example, in Anne's stomach, being able to determine a month after she was murdered the last meal she had eaten and the time of death, like, very accurately, that was because she was frozen. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So the act of freezing someone, it's sadistic in the way of you're not trying to hide evidence or hide that this happened. You're preserving it. That's scary. It's fucking horrifying. And I think, um, I don't know, we're, I feel like we're already partway into our postmortem. We are. These cases wow dude you know when you picked this topic i hate to say it but there were so many different directions that you could go with this because oh yeah a person being frozen could be an act of nature it could be a deliberate act by a person or Mm -hmm. like in yours or in mine almost a cannibalistic there was no evidence that fred and edwina had been consumed but It reminds me of Dahmer and how Dahmer had body parts Mm -hmm. in his refrigerator. And so, and also um, Igwe Sagawa, or Issa Sagawa. Sorry. Yeah. Igwe, whatever. Um, Uh, (laughs) I mean, he's a fucker. It's okay if I say his name wrong. Yep. But Bitch don't deserve getting correctly named. Nope. And so, there are just so many different ways that this topic could go into a case and All of them are so equally horrifying. I don't even know. I don't even know how this type of thought would come into someone's mind of like, I'm going to freeze that body. Or I'm going to leave this body here to freeze or any of that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's the, I I guess there could be the mindset of like, oh, fuck, what have I done? Where do I put this to deal with later? But I don't think that was an aspect in either of our cases. No, mine... Again, going on the theory that Charles is the one who did it, was like this deliberate act of uh, murdering, we'll, we'll go with the first theory, murdering his abusers, and painstakingly taking the time to dismember their bodies, wrap them up individually, and put them all in the fridge. Like, it is fucked God. up. It is very fucked up. And I mean, in my case, the fact that it... That her freezing had to take place on an industrial or commercial scale, which by nature, I feel like refrigeration freezing units of that size are not owned by one person. 
are not local to one person. You can't one person place a victim in a restaurant freezer and them not be found by other servers or cooks or, you know, a factory freezer. So either whoever did this had some kind of fucking freezing torture shed set up for this purpose or that there's a lot more than one person involved in this or who are aware of what happened and it's still unsolved to this day these cases oof, we've done a lot of cases uh lately that uh listeners i hope you weren't planning on having dinner after them because we 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 fucked y'all on those couple couple cases in a row now you know the like really sick thing i just realized both of our cases are cold cases in this episode mm-hmm and that they absolutely are and i hate how that fits in with the topic and the all of the oh oh i didn't even get the like pun you were making oh i hate that no i mean and it's like the what we were talking about when you uh named your source yeah defrosting calls cases yeah yeah and both of ours which is very interesting considering we talked in length about it preserving the evidence but clearly not enough yeah I mean, we both also had cases. Mine was from the late 50s. Yours was from the mid 60s. But even still, shit. I know. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, um, I picked this topic. So next week uh, you will be picking our topic. And if you make it cooked bodies, I'm going to leave. <laughs> I will not do that because we've already done cannibalism. And I feel like. That theme has trickled into more episodes than we ever thought it would, so we will not be doing that. Um, But if you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us those five stars. Tell us what you think. We love hearing from you. We love reading your reviews, and we appreciate it so much. Yes, and make sure, if you haven't, to like and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our website, bloodandwinepodcast.com. There you can check out our merch store. You can listen to our episodes there. Maybe you're working from home or you're back in the office and you want to throw us up on one of your screens, plug your headphones in, and, I don't know, do some data entry. Do it. Um, And with that... Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. And this is Blood and Wine signing off. XOXO. Bye, you guys. Bye.